Hello, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome once again to the Netflix podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Netflix in Canada. I'm your host, Dylan Clark Moore, and today we're going to be talking about not a movie. We're going to be talking about a TV show. We're going to be talking about RuPaul's Drag Race, which, to the best of my knowledge, is only available to stream on Netflix in Canada. Today's episode of the Netflix podcast is brought to you in part by UnLondon's 121 Studios, London, Ontario's premier digital media hub and co-working space. Visit 121studios.ca for more information. The Netflix podcast is also a proud member of the Electric Streams podcast network. For more insights into streaming media like Netflix, Amazon, and HBO original series, subscribe to Electric Streams Media on your podcast platform of choice. Before we get into it, I'd like to issue a couple of warnings. First of all, this conversation does in fact contain spoilers for not just season 8 of RuPaul's Drag Race, which is the one season that's available to stream in Canada, but also for previous and future seasons, including season 9. As well, some of the language may not be suitable for all listeners. I'd also like to give a heads up that over the course of the conversation, uh, including discussions of transphobia, there are some words that are used in the conversation uh, intended to discuss those words, but some people may not necessarily appreciate the use of some words that are considered transphobic slurs. So uh, please be aware of that and give me the appropriate amount of criticism for including those. I also want to include a bit of an explanation of a word that is increasing in popularity, but I don't think that everybody's had a chance to really understand exactly what it is, uh, particularly when we're discussing uh, issues like being a good ally. The word cis is one that you've probably heard before. Forgive me if you already know what this means. But basically, if you hear somebody describing somebody else as, or themselves, I guess, as cis, uh, what they're talking about is a person whose gender identity matches their anatomical sex at birth. So if you hear that word banding around, uh, I know there's some misconceptions about it meaning straight. That's not what it means. Um, It just means that your gender identity matches the anatomical sex that you were born with. So with all of that out of the way, I'll get out of the way so that you can get into the discussion. I think a very good discussion, a very helpful discussion for me uh, with Josh Morrison about RuPaul's Drag Race. So let's get into it. I'm here today with a guest that you've heard before when we talked all about the great Muppet Caper. I'm thrilled to be back talking with Josh Morrison. Hello. Hi, Josh. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? It's good. It's good. Is there a, a like a point at which you're planning on busting that out? or? I have a sight gag. You'll hear it at some point. Yes, that makes sense. Shut up. You brought Whatever. props to a podcast? I did. Propcast? Propcast! Dylan's looking at me like I'm not saying the right things. Apparently, I didn't get the memo. I'm just watching the screen. (laughs) 
We're watching the poor our sound levels, levels very carefully because Dylan thinks I'm really loud, and thus the poor sound wave is just exploding. Or maybe it's happy, Dylan. Maybe the sound wave is queer. Maybe it likes me. Maybe Jesus. Maybe someone has to. Bitch. Is there, is there anything interesting you've been watching on Netflix recently, Josh? Uh, great question, Dylan. Um, over to Cynthia at the desk. Um. No, I've I've actually been watching some of the Netflix originals of late, which are things yep. that I know you will be able to see in Canada. I live in the U.S. most of the time. Um, I'm actually kind of weirdly getting into the Santa Clarita diet. Oh, I loved it. I love Drew Barrymore. I'm only a few episodes in, but like the deadpan humor of it all. There's something about deadpan zombie that mm-hmm. makes zombie bearable. Usually, I hate zombie things. But... See, I, Drew Barrymore wasn't really selling it for me. It was Timothy Oliphant doing the not deadpan stuff. That's what was really. Oh yeah, the husband's amazing. Really great for me. Um, Awkward dad humor from like a superstar hunk is really. Why would you like that, me. Dylan? Why would you identify with that? <laughs> because I am a Hollywood style hunk. I just like to see dads represented handsomely it's nice to finally see myself on the screen every once in a while you know says the white dude (laughs) thanks buddy boy we're gonna have a fascinating conversation today i can tell um (laughs) here this might be a good moment to introduce my prop uh just in case anybody i think that got heard that is no, no no that is what we call a the sound is a thwarp here i shall demonstrate again and that is the sound of a large prop fan being opened. Okay, not just a large prop fan. This is a large black prop fan that has the word shade written across it. This is produced by a Canadian company called Dirt Squirrel. I have another one, too, because I brought many, because I'm like that. I only brought two of the four that I own, though. There are three more in the mail, though, because I'm I'm told that I'm what people call extra now. It's apparently what I am. <laughs> That's what the young kids call me. That's fair. I mean, you're wearing two very festive power clashing is my new um like aesthetic we can just say it it's fine okay all right they clash i'm not in a position to criticize anything that anybody wears so i'm not i'm just i'm observing i'm not casting judgment power clashing is where i am now it's what i do all right yeah uh, anything other than Santa Clarita diet, or has that been the... Every um, once in a while, I'm just going to pull it back on theme. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I've been trying to work my way through the 3% as well. Very good, but also very heavy, and thus sometimes I'm I'm not in the mood. Right, that's the That's the Portuguese, or Brazilian, Brazilian Portuguese sci-fi. language, sci-fi dystopia. Right, that only 3% of people get to live, and we're all going to Hunger Games it out to figure out who gets to No, no, only 3% to get to go to the offshore, which is the only place that's like not shitty to live in anymore and so when you turn 20 or 21 you go and do all these weird mind games and then three percent of you get to go forward but there's this whole like political revolution subplot that's unfolding anyway and it's full of very serious brazilian people looking serious okay which is good by the way that's not a read that's 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 the thing that i like um as for myself uh, i haven't really had a whole lot of chance to watch much since the last time you heard me talk because this podcast actually came out very spontaneously and suddenly and out of nowhere in that... Out of the sick recesses of my mind. Okay. Uh, the, one thing that I, <laughs> the one thing that I did watch was uh, the first episode of Glow, which uh, mm. Rob McDougall recommended last week, or last episode. And I found myself a little bit underwhelmed, maybe just because uh, I was going into it with a lot of hype, with being a fan of Alison Brie, and with being a fan of pro wrestling. So I had pretty high expectations of this whole thing. 
Uh, but I'm definitely willing to you know, keep going into it and, and seeing what else I can get from it. Just I mean, the, the pilot didn't completely wow me. I haven't watched it yet, but like, I don't know. I've, I, don't, I can't think of a single, that's a lie. I can think of one Netflix original where the pilot got me. Every other one I felt like I've needed to watch at least three episodes before judging the show. Which one was that? Grace and Frankie. Grace and Frankie. I was on board from Absolutely. From episode first one. scene. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. <laughs> the, that being said, restaurant. basically, Jane Fonda as Grace is my, like, life goals, so. Okay. And... All right, well, what we're here to talk about this episode is not a movie. No. Because you can't stick to the script when you have Josh on. No, we're going to be talking about a TV show because recently Netflix decided to add only one season but still, I'm glad it's there, of RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm -hmm. so, Only in Canada, too. U.S. Netflix does not have this because Amazon has a deal with Drag Race right. in the U.S., and it's all on Amazon Prime. Right, and after watching this, I was like, I need to, I need more. Mm -hmm. Feed me more. <laughs> and Crave doesn't have it, so I don't I don't know where else. Like, I suppose I should check Amazon, see if Prime has it yeah, up here. I don't, yeah, I don't actually know if Prime Canada does or not. Um and Prime US still only tends to have the three or four seasons preceding the one that's airing. Oh, okay. Um, for older than that, you have to. Well, this this my fondness for this show has me considering buying hard copies of previous seasons. Ooh, that's so, intense. Yeah. Um, I mean, it does air in Canada when yeah. when it's actually airing. It airs on um out TV, but I didn't know that was a channel. There you go. I don't have cable. That's so. the Canada Gay Channel. In I case out much... didn't tip you out. That's Canada's Oot TV. Oot TV, eh? That's where all the gays are. All us gay Hoosiers and whatnot. Gay no, spelled. Hoosiers is Indiana. Whoops. Uh, hosers. hosers. There we there go. go. Okay. Gay TV. G-E-H. All right. yeah. yeah. Gay, eh? <laughs> gay. Okay. Okay, so let's look at how... Many thoughts. <laughs> let's look at how Netflix introduces RuPaul's Drag oh, Race. this should be good. First, when you hover over the title, it says... It's an outrageous royal romp. The world's most fabulous drag queens claw their way to fame in, and a sparkling tiara. Which, tiara? It's, it's not, not a tiara, a tiara it's a at all. It's like a fucking like towering crown. Tiara. Fuck you, Netflix, you heteronormative dicks. And then when you click on the title, the description changes to Celebrity Drag Queen RuPaul hosts this elimination-style reality contest that's one part America's Next Top Model and two parts fabulous. And also at least one part Project Runway. But, you know, whatever. They Heidi Klum would probably sue them for that. So whatever. Um, no, the, I mean, the show basically, especially if you go back to the early seasons, it, like, basically is exactly a combination of Next Top Model and Project Runway. Mm -hmm. Like, entirely. Yeah, in I, that there are literally challenges that rip off challenges from Project Runway. <laughs> I'd never seen... <laughs> like, actually. I've never seen RuPaul's Drag Race before. Uh, I've never seen Project Runway. But I did watch a few seasons of America's Next Top Model back I'm in the sorry. day. And one season of Canada's Next Top Model, which is, like, you know that you've peaked with the reality show when you watch your own country's version of it. Uh, the genres that this belongs to, according to Netflix, are TV shows, reality TV, and LGBTQ TV shows. Yeah, sure. Right. And the descriptive word they've chosen is campy. I'll buy that. Yeah, all right. Which I didn't know was a category. I'm kind of happy that it yeah, is. Yeah, good for you, Netflix. The 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 algorithm evolves. <laughs> the algorithm is ever evolving. I'm curious I'd, about I'd like what a else campy is... drama with a strong female lead. If you uh, type in campy, the first thing that comes oh up is Jane the Virgin. So yeah, that's not awful. RuPaul's Drag Race, Glee. Mrs. Brown's Boys, Scream Queens, Drop Dead Diva, Big Trouble in Little China. All right. 
Then we get Scream into- Queens is on Netflix. Sharknado up here. Yeah, I guess uh, so. What? I did not realize. Have you seen it? I have not. It's so good. Apparently, I'm a 63% match for it, though, so maybe not for me. We'll convert you one day, Dylan. Well, I like I've been trying to convert Dylan since, I mean, 2005, <laughs> basically. Yeah, that's... Was that awkward? He's was not that, kidding. That was, was that too much? <laughs> he, whatever, Dylan knows. I don't care. Hashtag shameless. Whatever. <laughs> Dylan's wife, if you're listening, don't worry. He's resisted me every time. It's fine. All right, so... <laughs> Okay, so RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, the reason that this whole thing, this whole discussion came about was because it was just from me messaging you. Yes. And you normally live in the States. Like yes. You work in the States. Unfortunately. And so I messaged Josh, and I, was, I knew you were a fan. I've seen... 17 billion Facebook posts about it. Yeah, I roughly. Mean, I, yeah, and I mean, I've, I, I believe I knew who won the season because of you posting photos of the person. Oops. Which I'm not, not terribly worried about. Oh, this would be a good moment though. There's a decent chance I'm going to spoil a lot of shit from a lot of seasons. So, like, you've been warned, y'all. Yeah. Oh, there's a warning in the intro. Already. Drag Race fans are really, really rabid about spoilers, so I'm just covering my ass and attempting not to get assassinated. Fair enough. All right. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, so I messaged you, and I was just, I I said, Josh, I just watched, they just put season eight of RuPaul's Drag Race on Netflix, and it is everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love it so much. It's one of the better seasons, too, actually. And then you messaged back and said, I'm in Canada right now. Yeah. Let's do a podcast. Surprise! Here I am. Hello! So, I mean, you're a huge fan. I, I got, like, obsessive about the show in a way Everyone that I haven't does. been about anything really like we burned through it in a few days my wife and i and i i don't know i don't know what it is i mean like it was it was part of it was just i don't know anything about drag Mm. aside from i mean i watched priscilla queen of the desert eight years ago good film and i don't i felt like it was silly but entertaining and also genuine and it's so snappy like it's mm-hmm. like the editing is so quick that it's almost like a parody of reality shows in how quick all the edits are and how shamelessly they're just like you can tell that you know somebody says something and then there's a reaction shot and you just know that that reaction oh, actually yeah. happened like three hours later totally. in response to something totally different yep. but they're just although it, when you go back into some of the older seasons you'll see some serious changes in the editing um, season seven in particular, they changed a lot with the editing. And I, my personal thing, a lot of people say season seven was the worst season. I don't think that's true. I think they were trying out a lot of new stuff with the format that just didn't like work as well. And then in season eight, it became a well-oiled machine. It is a favorite thing of the drag queens on the sh- on, or actually less and less the drag queens. I'm assuming because of gag orders in their contracts, <laughs> gag. Um, but more fans love to just assume that it's all the editing and they're not terrible and blah blah blah. Whatever. <laughs> it's TV. Everyone's edited. All the queens know it. Deal with it. Right. I mean, okay, let me ask you this question. Why do you love this show so much? Um, so I am going to sound like a hipster here, but I've been watching it since season one. Uh, I was in fourth year undergrad and happened to have cable in my residence hall because I was a staff member. Um, and that made me feel like I was important. So I had cable. <laughs> and uh, Delaware Hall. Woo! And um, I just happened to catch it, actually, by accident. Um, I love it because it was something unabashedly queer as opposed to like Will and Grace LGBT or I don't even want to put the B and T on Will and Grace to be perfectly frank. Um, 
it was something unabashedly queer in a moment where that wasn't happening on television, and I felt like it was sort of a there was a hole there after a show like Queer Eye for the Straight Guy went off the air, which still very stereotypical in its own way, same as Drag Race, but it it had some flamboyance to it that I feel like a lot of mainstream lesbian and gay TV at the time didn't. Um, but also, I think it's uh, for me, it really is about what you're talking about with the queens. Like they are. I have lots to say about RuPaul's corporate empire and my feelings about RuPaul himself, but I really do feel like the contestants on the show are super genuine and very lovable. And there's a realness to it that I think you just don't get in most reality TV. And sure, they take advantage of the queens for that. Like every season has those moments where a queen is like, this tragic thing happened in my life. And then the music gets serious and then the violins come in. And then sometimes that queen goes home the next episode. And then like, and all of this is convention and yet somehow it's all believable. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's also things in the show along the way that I personally have related to um, as a fat, flamboyant gay bear. I've only dabbled in drag once or twice. And I would certainly not pretend to say I'm like an insider expert on the community. Right. Um, but I do study drag to some extent in my work. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of things I really relate to, especially when it comes to being flamboyant and femme and, um, standing out. I mean, we were two minutes into this and Dylan had already commented on my clashing fabrics. Um, (laughs) would like to point out Dylan, you're putting it out there. I know. (laughs) So that's what he said. Um, sorry. I, I don't want to hijack this conversation and make it about straight people. Oh good, but please. I just <laughs> But let's talk about straights. No, I want to I want to get this out of the way so that I <laughs> But That's also what he said. But for me as somebody who I'm a straight white man as I don't think anybody needs reminding from listening <laughs> to me talk. But for me watching this, I don't, I don't want to say it's silly, but I mean it feels kind of silly to say, but this show made queerness a bit more relatable to me good and i just want to say why so that you can tell me if it's stupid (laughs) dylan Um, because i remember years ago having the thought and probably expressing the thought like when people were talking about like pride parades and everything and having you know that that thought that you hear repeated so often they're like oh what do you need a parade for why do you need to be Mm -hmm. or even there's a parade happening. That's fine. Celebrate. But like, why do you need to be so explicitly sexual about it? Parades than you are. <laughs> Your parades are boring. I, I don't deny that at all. But then watching RuPaul, I got a better or watching this show. I got a, I, I got a better understanding of what it was like for these people to, I mean, there's no quite, I mean, you can't do drag and not stand out. Right, it's such yeah, a no big, flashy, flamboyant thing. You can't do it and not stand out. So, like, there's no, there's no apologizing mm-hmm. when you're doing drag. So, watching that and watching people just like be themselves when they're in this character and doing this like enormous presentation of queerness mm-hmm. was just kind of it. It clicked a switch for me where I was like, okay, I kind of get now that. You celebrate, and you celebrate flam... Not you, but I mean... Well... I get the idea of wanting to celebrate flamboyantly, especially as a response to not being able to be who you are in the mm-hmm. first place. Like, there's... It seemed like... I mean, different people told stories on the season about coming out yep. and finally discovering who they were and just having, like, your identity bottled up for so long that, of course, you want to, like, ex- 
explode. I can I can understand that feeling now. It's, I think it's the difference between. I think most people understand that there's definitely a lot of sort of big fuck you involved in drag. Definitely. Can I swear on the podcast? Absolutely. I'm going to swear on your podcast. That's fine. I'm going to swear all over it, you dirty podcast. Okay. Um, I'll just cover it with that fan sound. If you're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. For fans of the show who are listening, all of you know I'm referencing, uh, and you're welcome. Okay. Um, no, I'm not going to explain that to you. Okay. Uh, there's going to be a lot of in-jokes I'm not going to explain to you. I'm just going to leave them for the audience. <laughs> Boom, motherfuckers. Okay. Um, so there's a big element of fuck you, but I think the big important part is that sometimes that fuck you is definitely an aggressive one to people who are assholes and are homophobes and are transphobes the fuck you can definitely be an aggressive fuck you but a lot of the time it's actually a super celebratory and positive fuck you and that's something that i think people don't get all the time like i stand out in a crowd i'm fat i'm tall i take up a lot of physical space i wear ridiculous clashing patterns um, me and all my sight gags for a podcast, right? I'm loud. Dylan keeps turning my levels down. Yes, I'm noticing you. I see you. Um, I have tattoos. One of my tattoos on my forearm is two naked men embracing. Like, there's a fuck you to this that is about both, like, claiming space in the world and saying that I deserve to be here however I care to be. But that is also about trying to shake people out of their preconceived notions in a way that is, I think, a little more positive. And even pedagogical, to use a $5 word, not just aggressive. And I think that that's what the show, for me, that's what the really big positive of the show is. Believe me, I have tons of criticisms. I brought in seven pages of notes about them. Um, But there's this pedagogical element to it that I think is actually the strength of the show. And this is where I sometimes disagree a little bit with particularly online narratives about straight people and cis people interacting with queer and trans um, communities. And this, this extends bigger into like lately there's been a lot of stuff all over the gay interwebs about i don't know there's this perennial fight that pops up every five years about like we don't want straight women in gay bars should we let straight women be in gay bars what about bachelorette party this happens seriously like it's a cycle well i i Um, I saw something recently on twitter where there was uh it, it showed up in my feed where somebody said uh basically the caption was uh throw up your hand if you've ever been assaulted by a bachelorette party at a gay bar and then the the picture that went with it was like a whole bunch of people from mean girls with their hand up in the air okay i haven't seen that one i don't like the use of the word assaulted um i think that's problematic but so i, I but i think that this actually i'm i am actually trying to work my way around to your original question don't worry sure. um really what this is about is how to be an ally how to be a good ally versus like a shitty quote unquote ally who just wants a fucking cookie um, I'm a great baker. I make awesome cookies, but I'm not going to give them to you. Sorry, Brenda. <laughs> is that a real person or is that a generic? <laughs> I don't know. Shitty ally. <laughs> I'm also not going to give them to Becky, who has good hair. How do you feel about that? <laughs> um, so really, though, what this is about, I mean, in particular with something like RuPaul's Drag Race, I'll come back to bars in a minute. With RuPaul's Drag Race, like this is an increasingly mainstream show. It just moved to VH1 in the US, so it now has a much bigger platform. Season 9 was on VH1, not Logo. Oh, okay. Which is still in the same Viacom family. It's all owned by Viacom, who also owns MTV. Yeah, but that's a that's but a that's channel a, I've heard of. Right, that's a big to, jump from one Logo. That I heard of because this is the uh, from Logo to VH1. So like this is increasingly mainstream and the non-queer, non-trans audience of this show has been growing rapidly for 9 seasons. Um like yeah, you can watch it. It's a fucking TV show. You should watch it. I think that's good. Go where you're invited. If people are willing to share their culture with you, experience it. Respectfully experience what's being given to you. It's a gift. It's a learning tool. This is something that is good. We, like, 
we all need to understand people who are different than us better. And doing that in a respectful way is fine to me. I have no problem. Where I get into an issue, and this is where the whole like fight over straight women and gay bars happens, is people regardless of their identities, who treat things like RuPaul's Drag Race like a circus or a freak show. And there are a lot of gay men out there who do this, too. I see you on the internet. I see you. I don't like you. Um, gay misogyny is one of my biggest pet peeves, and I cannot fucking deal with it. Anyway, um, so if you're viewing or interacting, like, strategy with something is, ooh, look how, like, exotic and strange this is. This is so different from me. Um, I don't understand this. My life is so, like, normal, and this is so whatever. Like, okay, you're part of the problem. Okay. And I'm probably going to throw cookies at you violently instead of giving them to you. Th- those will be the burnt ones that are stale, and they'll hurt. So really, like, I don't mind, like, personally, I don't actually mind straight women in queer bars. Um, the same way I don't mind straight viewers and fans of Drag Race if they're being good allies. I, th- I think it's actually very positive that straight women can feel safe from straight men creepily assaulting them in bars. This is why I don't like that word assaulting. In straight bars, we're a community based on gathering to protect ourselves and keep each other safe while still celebrating who we are through strength of numbers. I don't see an issue with that being extended to people who are being respectful to us and who are trying to be allies. That being said, you have to be a good ally in the space, whether that's viewing RuPaul's Drag Race or being at a bar, um, which is why I'm dubious of specifically of bachelorette parties. That, to me, is more of like, sure, gay marriage is legal now, even in the U.S., but like, really, you're going to show up to a gay bar with people who've been fighting to be able to even get married for like decades and bring you a bachelorette party? Right. Girl, think about this. Right. To quote the sassy gay friend videos that are now quite outdated on the internet, look at your life, look at your choices. You made the same quote last time. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> um, as stale as your cookies, Josh. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, that's really what this comes down to for me is how are you consuming it and why? And so to me, like, I personally, not trying to speak for anyone else, have no problem with how you're viewing the show. You clearly are trying to use this as... Like, first and foremost, enjoyment. We need to be able to enjoy shit. One thing I cannot handle about quote-unquote call-out culture, which is a weird term that everyone's using now, is it sometimes feels like we are not allowed to have fun anymore. And as someone who studies queer culture and camp and kitsch, I think it's important that we have fun still. We can still be critical of something and come up with all the reasons how it could be better while still valuing it for the good things that it does. Mm -hmm. And I think Drag Race falls in this category for me. Because there are problems. There definitely are. Mm -hmm. I have pages of notes on them. Um, this may sound like a stupid thing to say, but I, until watching this, I didn't realize how gay drag is. Which, I mean, it, like, it sounds... It's, Sorry. But, I was in the middle of taking a sip at that point. I think it's because the first time I ever experienced drag, like I said, was in... Uh, uh, I mean, aside from just kind of being aware of it as a phenomenon, the first time I saw it was in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, mm. where you had one trans person one gay person and one straight person who are all doing drag. So to me, right. it was just kind of like, it's a thing that people like to do. Sure. But then in this season when, uh, I mean, everybody was talking about like their coming out stories yeah. and being gay and and all of that. I was like, oh, I, I didn't realize how closely linked those two communities are. Like, I don't, I'm not trying to like call out anomalies or whatever, but I mean, sure. like, are there, I mean, there must be straight men who do drag as well. Presumably. I don't know. Anything. Not that I'm trying to be like, why can't white people say the N word? Like that sort of thing. I'm not trying to to go there. Um, <laughs> Good. <laughs> I don't want to have to shove your microphone up your rectum. Right. Um, but, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I said, I'm not saying. No, dear. Don't get mad. At me. I'm not saying that I want to do drag. Right. <laughs> and I'm not saying that I want to stop watching the show. I, I don't feel you like make I'm a stately woman. I'm not saying. 
I'm not a stately man in the first place. I wouldn't be any better off as a woman. That's actually the adjective people used to describe me when I had that aborted attempt to drag back in third year. Remember oh, okay. that? Yeah. But I mean, like, I'm not looking to participate. I'm not looking to claim anything. No, I'm happy for sure. to, to sit back and enjoy and learn. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, the, the, that was a. This has been an educational experience for me. So, so, good. Um, so. I'll be honest, I don't know a ton about um, the context of drag in Australia, so I don't want to make too many comments on the historical context of Priscilla Queen in the Desert. I'm just not an expert. Um, but drag has a long history in North America, um, dating back much further, like drag performers, dating back much further than people would assume, probably. Um, and some of the sort of published history of it goes back into, like, say, the 50s and 60s with Esther Newton's book, uh, Mother Camp. Amazing classic of queer history, well worth the read if you're interested in history anthropology. But um, it's it's a performance art that has different roots for different people. Um, sometimes it's one of the, especially in previous decades, it's been one of the only things trans women could do to make ends meet and to be able to be acknowledged as a woman in any kind of professional performance space or in a way that was um, aff like affirming. Not that there aren't other ways, just this is one sort of strain of drag performance. Um, and this is why it's really important to keep in mind that drag, unlike with the exception of season nine of Drag Race, unlike what Drag Race will sort of tell you, this is one of the big criticisms. Trans women have always been part of drag in North America and they always will be and they are not separate. And there's this way that there's a sort of false narrative forming that um, drag queens are cisgender gay men who do dra who dress up like women and trans women are different. Sometimes that's true, sometimes that isn't. Um, but there were also early drag performers in particular in drag bars. Um, some of them were heterosexual cis men who enjoy dressing up like women and they performed um, as what we would now call a drag queen. Um, so as a way to I express just... themselves. There's all kinds of different ways that this manifests, but the drag community has a really rich history of different identity categories um, existing and intermingling and working together to build community in a really beautiful and unique way. And the other thing that's important to remember, and you get some of this from Drag Race, although often implicitly rather than explicitly, it's also a place where queer people of color and trans people of color have been very accepted and formative and, frankly, like by and large, a lot of the innovators mm -hmm. of the art. Um, and so that's a really important history that doesn't always get told and that Drag Race sort of represents... <laughs> Well, yeah, because I was... Depending on the day. I noted and then quickly forgot about, and I think in a good way, that a lot of the contestants on this season were people of color, and that it was something that... What's interesting is the percentage used to be higher in earlier seasons. Really? Okay. Yeah. I actually... I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the show has actually gotten whiter. Oh, okay. Over time. The first, first three wi winners were all people of color. Because I'm looking at season eight, and at least the final four... Yeah, we're we're all people of color, right? It was uh, who was fourth? Chi Chi. Oh, thank you. Right, yes, because fifth was Derek Berry, who hung on a terrifyingly long <laughs> amount of time. Were you not every you just week have and to like keep... go home? <laughs> you just have to keep being the second worst. That's the Derek Berry path to success. Um, I should have cracked the shade one for that, but I cracked yes instead. It's fine, um, I can edit. <laughs> um. Right, because they not sound different. Matters, sorry. Right, please make sure you put the shade thwarp in at that moment, not the yes thwarp. I That's will. important. Um, we want the correct thwarp at the right time. <laughs> well, the wrong thwarp in the wrong place is going to hurt. Okay, I'm just saying. Yeah. Anyway, um, no, and so that, and I mean, also keep in mind, right? Like this is RuPaul. RuPaul's African American. 
And I mean, hey, we've got a major TV personality now who finally has gotten nominated for an Emmy for best for season nine, best uh, best host. Finally yep. got a nomination. The show is finally getting a nomination in the major reality category. It's important mm-hmm. that there's a black drag queen leading the way. Yeah. And you mentioned community, and that was something that really stood out to me. I mean, it's not a community that – it's not like I was like, finally, yes, this is my people. But it was just like I can I can look at a community and appreciate that people have right people supporting each other. And in that almost everybody on – I mean, you can be – a catty bitchy person towards somebody who's in your community and still have them in your community. Yeah. And by and large, especially towards the end, the show got so supportive of each other. And even when, um, I mean, the probably the, the biggest outsider thing in the season was Derek Barry and his beef oh, with Naomi Smalls. Which came out of fucking nowhere. That was a left field like Derek at the end was just like, and I hate Bob and I hate Naomi and I hate everybody. And I was like, I don't know where you're coming from, buddy. But also Derek hemmed everything. Derek, did you watch the untucked episodes? Are those available? No. I have well, no they're idea. on YouTube. I don't so know they are available. The untucked is the after show oh, where okay. it's a half hour or it used to be a half hour show. So 20 minutes of content. <laughs> what a perfect. What a name. Right. Well, it's actually though. It's when they're backstage while the judges are deliberating is okay. when it's filmed. In the Untucked of the, the Makeover episode, where Derek was awful, uh, that was the Wizard of Oz one, um, his horrible costume, he was going, he was, I think he was coming for Thor, Chi-Chi? I don't know, he was coming for somebody, because of who was better than him, because, obviously. Um, <laughs> and he was talking about that, yet another bathing suit with a horrible piece of fabric wrapped around it, and it was super fucking basic, and then he's like, I hemmed everything on this outfit, I hemmed this, and I hemmed this, and this is a hem, and this is the hem. And everyone was like, yeah, you hemmed a piece of fabric around a bathing suit again. Congratulations, you hemmed some shit. Good work. And then in the episode he went home, that weird RuPaul's face, you know, corset thing that was happening, in the Untucked, he's like, I'm pretty sure when they start a museum of RuPaul's Drag Race, this is going to be in it because of how well-crafted this is. Like, Derek, girl... So what I was going to say is... Sorry. No. Feelings uh, about Derek Barry. Katie, well, I mean, that was for you. When when Derek and Naomi were getting... Naomi? Naomi? Naomi. Naomi. Yeah. When Derek and Naomi were getting into it... Naomi. And, it's like Naomi Campbell. But, right. Naomi Smalls. Okay. Um, when those two were going at it, <laughs> and, uh, and Naomi said what... Naomi claimed is like this is what everybody's been thinking all along like you do great makeup but it's not drag and that to me felt like oh like you're kicking this person out like you're putting this person outside of the community but like you don't belong here but then it's immediately followed up with him helping Derek and being like here's how you do it so even in this moment where there's this this tension in the community it gets all brought back in and then the most powerful I think sense of community that I got was the finale episode, which by and large, I think the finale was not entertaining. No, they usually aren't, which is why they change in season nine, but I can talk about that later. Okay. But what was amazing to me was watching the audience and just how yeah. people come to this event mm-hmm. to celebrate. It's and like, how... it's a movement. It's a movement. Okay. Now I just sound like I'm fucking Barack Obama or something. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's like a thing. And also, it's important to remember, though, like, for one thing, they are on reality TV. The producers prod them into fighting with each other. And we do need to keep that in mind. 
like there are many for the hardcore fans like me we all tend to watch behind the scenes videos and watch stuff like um so it was in season four when they started filming the live reunion or semi-live reunions that get taped about a week before they air um and at those they traditionally crown everyone who's a finalist which is why if you ever felt like the audience looked kind of half-assed in cheering it's because they crown everyone so that no one knows who wins until it actually airs oh okay so they crowned kimchi bob they filmed crowning kimchi bob and naomi oh wow yeah okay um and they found out who won when it aired and all of them are at a party in new york and the finalists are all sitting in a back room being like hope it's me and then they always film them seeing it on TV and then reacting. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so if the audience ever looks half-assed, that's why. Yeah, that's, it seems like a real non-event. Yeah. That <laughs> like, started... Okay, se- so that done. format okay. started in season four. Um, but... So they prod them to fight. But also, if you remember the reading challenge and the and the puppet challenge, right? Reading each other is part of drag culture. It's it's a thing that... Ha- There's a reason I brought a fan that said shade on it. Um, I think I timed that thwarp quite well. That was perfect. Actually. Thank you. Yeah, I try. Um, shade is an art form, and it's part of what they do. So yeah, the queens come for each other, and they read each other. But it, good shade and good reading come from a place of love. Love that's usually followed up by a really cutting insult that digs deep into your soul. But it's also supposed to be about like really good reading, in my opinion, at least. Feel free to disagree with me. Is um, like it should also tell the person on the receiving end something that they might not realize. Like it should be, it should be sending a message. Constructive criticism in a very roundabout, sometimes really cutting way. Yeah, yeah. Um, like you're you're gonna sit on it for a while. And yeah, then it, in, gonna... in all the ways, I, I wish I was allowed to criticize my students, but I'm not because professional. No, so right. if my students are listening, I'm mostly kidding. To the few of you who I'm not kidding about, you know who you are. <laughs> but it's the kind of thing where you're gonna be like in a shower three weeks from now, you could be like, oh, God. I get it. <laughs> oh, my true. God. My makeup is awful. Um, Derek. I Okay, <laughs> to Derek's credit, what, okay, another thing I actually like about this show that I feel like they maybe took to some extent from Project Runway, or at least sort of based on, is that a queen can improve throughout the season and be rewarded for it. Chi-Chi Devane being a really great example. Chi-Chi improved right. so much. And that helped carry... T- she took her natural charm and she wouldn't have made it past episode five if she wasn't trying. Right. And then Naomi was the same way, that she was really floundering. Na- yep. And then... And to Derek's credit, it took a long time and a thick skull, but Derek did try to improve. Yeah. It was too little too late and those red aerial eyebrows were... Oh, awful. But um, <laughs> they weren't good. But like... To some extent, like, RuPaul always cracks these jokes about, like, this isn't RuPaul's school for girls. But, like, in it kind of is sometimes, actually. Like, there are a lot of queens who really do help each other. And actually, usually the queens who end up being hated by the fans the most are the ones who are actually bitches. Like, full bitches, not, like, drag bitches. Right, like, Derek and, like, uh, Acid Betty. Just the ones who are really like not you know, supportive. I know I'm not a big fan of Acid Betty. I didn't like her on the show. I felt like she did the same thing again and again. Um, sorry if my sister is listening, she's gonna hate me for that. Sorry, but you know I disagree with you on this but one. Thanks for listening. But like, yeah, thanks, Sarah. Love you. Um, I do actually love my sister. She's a wonderful human being. Um, but like, Acid Betty in her offline presence, very like not show presence, very different. Online non-show is what I is what I mean. Very different. Not a huge bitch. I think she was trying to play a role that 
someone has to play every season, and sometimes yeah. people do that intentionally, and sometimes they don't. Right. Um, trying to be the villain of the season. Yeah, and yeah. so I don't. I don't know if that was something the producers wanted Acid, like wanted Betty to do or not, but. But even in the finale, where Acid Betty gets that redemptive moment, where it turns out that, um, that he was, I what, is it fine to use pronouns interchangeably? Like I want to be. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Okay, is the idea that you're supposed to like say she when you're talking about the character and he when you're talking about the performer? Usually, okay, unless you know the performer's a trans woman, in which case she would be acceptable, right. and correct all the time. Um, but where it turns out that Acid Betty is the only one who went to go visit. Um, oh, what's what's his name the Cynthia Cynthia and just like oh wow you're a yeah like you flew across the country to be supportive to a friend like that's yeah. an amazing thing to do and a friend who I'm not sure they'd met before those two I don't actually think they knew each other because um Acid Betty's very much in the New York scene and yeah Cynthia works mostly in Florida and Texas I think which are very different drag worlds yeah it I I wasn't sold on Betty's edit um I do think she deserved to leave at when she did yeah Although I will say, to her credit, she was the only one on that Madonna runway who did something really original. It was my favorite costume, I think, of the Madonna ones. Yes. What I was sad about was that she didn't have an actual little baby hiding up in there to pop out during the lip sync. <laughs> then she might have stuck around for a while. Missed opportunities. And then Derek would have eaten it. And <laughs> Hopefully. I um, simply adore children, but I could never eat a whole one. We've... <laughs> We've talked about positivity, we've talked about support, and I think a lot of that comes from, like, the mama of the show is RuPaul. Yeah. Very much doing the, um, Jesus Christ, like, the, the Tyra Banks thing from America's Next Top Model that i We were rooting for you! We were all rooting for you! That's season nine. So... Keep, it, keep an eye out, folks. Uh, in that, he seems... Very supportive, very positive, very proud of how everybody's doing. Yeah. When like when they're like when they're on the judges panel, I mean, there's a bit of a character that's being played that like sure. I'm the one who's I'm the one who's ruling this podium, but like RuPaul is never the one who's giving like really scathing negative shit. No, he's right? got a patsy to do that for him, namely Michelle, right? Who I adore. Yeah, as actually, well. I, don't <laughs> I don't always agree with her, but. Also, you didn't watch the earlier seasons, so before Ross and um, Carson took over, Santino Rice from season two of Project Runway was the regular judge. Oh, that's not an enjoyable thing? I have no idea who that is. No. So Okay. <laughs> Santino's awful. All right, I'll watch out for that. His name is Santino. You've also mentioned that there are some political things with RuPaul that because yeah. okay, so for me coming in with no knowledge whatsoever, and I mentioned this in the last episode that part of the part of what made me even interested in this in the first place is that I know the name RuPaul. I don't know anything about him, but I know that this is I have had the perception that this is like a trusted right. person in the community, or at least it was a big enough personality that their name carries some yeah. weight. Yeah, yeah, I mean, RuPaul's been around for a long time. RuPaul had a talk show on VH1 back in the 90s. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. Um, it wasn't a great talk show. Like, think like Ricky Lake, but probably a lower budget. Um, Michelle Visage was his co-host. That's where she actually comes from in deep history. Um, <laughs> deep dive into history and Michelle's boobs. Um, so RuPaul himself, right, super important figure, been on the scene for a long time. Been performing in various kinds of drag since the 80s. Um, 
helped found the Woods w- Wigstock um, festival. Super important. Uh, broke into the mainstream with a single supermodel. You better work in. Oh, I want to say '93, but don't quote me on that. Early '90s, whatever. Um, so yeah, been around a long time. Um, there's lots of you know unconfirmed rumors about him being horrible on the set and blah blah whatever. This happens, and I have some serious issues with sometimes how the way like the the way he claims the mantle of mother. Um, like surely you notice the sort of Doctor Phil pop psychology that he loves to do. Um, I'm convinced that Kim Chi didn't have his chance of winning because she refused to play that game. Did you notice that in the finale? Because you're not a longtime fan, this may not have tripped you, but when Kim Chi was like, no, I haven't told my mom. Yeah. Like, RuPaul was giving Kim Chi an opportunity there to give the narrative that RuPaul wants, which is, like, drag brings families together, parents who aren't accepting become accepting through watching the show. Like, Kim Chi wouldn't play the game. Well, and I thought it was weird that... Kim Chi should have won just for Kim Chi. Sorry. I, th- I love Bob too. Don't don't send me hate mail. I thought it was weird when RuPaul was like, okay, after the show, we're going to drive down. We're going to tell your mom together. I was like, you don't force no. outing. Like, and it didn't happen. Like, um, that seems... in I mean, that in particular, like, again, not being an expert, but having talked to some friends of mine who are experts, um, there's some cultural stuff going on with Kimchi and her mom, too, that's very different from RuPaul's experience or from white drag queens experience or white gay people's experiences that I'm not going to like try to speak to but that's important to recognize different cultural contexts maybe mean that um that make things difficult anyway um but I mean the show RuPaul himself has stepped in it politics wise particularly when it comes to trans issues and the show um so under my subheading of RuPaul's politics in my notes RuPolitics. Why? RuPolitics! It's right there. Well, RuPaul, that one Ru hasn't used. RuPologize is a thing, thanks to Willem from season four, uh, not being willing to RuPologize. Um, RuPolitics has never actually happened, and I suspect that's intentional. Anyway, um, Ru's politics on trans issues, dubious at best. Dubious is generous. So this one might take a bit of time, but I've, I'm going to lay it out. So this is this in particular is the biggest probably political thing for the show right now. Issues of transphobia and how trans women are part of the drag scene, how um, people read them as not being part of the drag scene. And there's no easy answer to this, just up front. I'm going to try to lay out sort of the different positions about this. Um, so Rue is of a generation who used words like, I'm going to say this for the context of the argument, who used words like tranny very easily and very quickly. Um, the word has appeared on the show um, along with some other terms that I'll go through in a second. Um, and this is a word that now is primarily known, especially in pop culture and in younger queer and trans communities, as a slur. Um, it's a word that um, has also been used to denote really bad things by gay cis men in particular, um, regardless of how the term may or may not be used in, in and out of trans communities. Um, for example, Think back to season four of Project Runway when the winner, Christian Siriano, regularly described bad outfits on the show as, quote, hot tranny messes, end quote. I think Christian has sort of apologized and tried to move move better in it, to better places in his politics, but that's one popular example. So this is a, the kind of thing that's very loaded in gay, com- gay and trans communities. Right. I remember seeing something recently from Comic-Con where... Oh, geez. Where John Barrowman... Oh, <laughs> uh, Yeah. From Doctor Who, who played Captain Jack Harkness. Yeah. It's a gay man and playing a, a, I don't know what the word is for, uh, I will literally fuck anybody who grabs my eye. (laughs) 
like of any species. <laughs> That's the character. Right. Um, just kind of seeing the best in everybody, I guess, is the positive spin to put on it. Um, but dressing up as the TARDIS from Doctor Who in a dress and yep. using that word to describe it. Yep. Yep. No, it wasn't good. And this is a this is a problem. This is specifically a problem in gay male communities. This but, is an issue. But also like the, the it's feeling transphobic. that like oh, it's okay because I'm gay, I can yeah. use that word. It's the same right? it's the same reason gay men are like, Well, it's okay that I touched a woman's boobs in the club without asking. I'm gay, it's fine. No, it's not. You're being a misogynist prick. Right. It's her body. Fuck right off. Um fuck all the way up right to the back preferably out of the club and out of public circulation um so the but the show has a has a mixed history with this um before you know the part of the show since you've only seen season eight this is interesting so the part of the show at the beginning where rupaul comes up on the tv and there's the siren and goes she done already done had hers is right yes okay that used to be ooh, you got she mail which is a joke on email right and it was spelled s-h-e-m-a-i-l right for a long time, that was, um, I'd seen some people not be comfortable with it. I was never totally comfortable with the term, but like it wasn't a thing until season six. Sorry, I'll come back to season six in a minute. So, but that's a, but it's also referencing the term shemale, S H E dash M A L E. Yeah. Um, which is uh, not a term that really gets reclaimed. It's most often associated with a brand of porn and sexual fetishization that has a long history of violence and mis- mistreatment of trans women. It's a deeply dehumanizing term pretty much universally um so it's not this is this is not great even though it was clearly upon on email not a good moment and but this became part of an issue in season six there was a mini challenge called he male or she male now spelled m-a-l-e um where they showed a picture of an extreme close-up of a body part of someone presenting as a woman so like cleavage ears whatever like extreme close and the contestants had to guess if that was an actual woman or a drag queen um and I, I even hate saying actual woman that's how it's presented on the show trans women are actual women all women are women this this whole challenge was deeply fucked is basically what it comes down to and after that there was a big public pushback very deserved one this needed to happen um the the mini challenge has been edited out of that episode and reruns and now actually going back to all seasons they switched it to she done already done had hers is after that um, and they've actually, in reruns now, they ed- they edit out, ooh, girl, you've got Gmail. Um, so that was good. That was good that the show responded. Now, the question is, did RuPaul want to change it or did Logo want to change it? The general consensus is that Logo did, um, which is the network that it aired on in the U.S. until VH1. Um, is Logo, uh, like... It's a gay channel. It, okay, it's a... Yeah. Okay, yeah. It, out TV and Logo are the same, you know, basic concept. So... The biggest and most important argument here about why the show has perpetuated transphobia, and RuPaul has as well, is these words are used most often, especially in mainstream media. We're not talking about, um, cult, like, subculturally here. In mainstream media and mass culture, words like these are used as slurs against trans women, drag queens, and other gender nonconforming people. Um, these are problems. So Logo changed its tune after season six, publicly apologized about the use of these words, and said it would do better. And when it comes to the format of the show, they have made these changes. Rue himself, much more ambivalent. Um, the general, like I said, the general consensus is that he changed things because the network told him to and because of money-making reasons, not necessarily because of actual remorse. His general take on words like tranny and using other harmful terms is that, A, 
these it's important that we keep reclaiming these terms which is an argument that is valid i mean it's the same as like many gay men have been reclaiming the term faggot i actually use that with my friends um but would also be offended if someone who is not part of our group used it like i've been called that word hurtfully many times in my life um so context matters um and his other argument is that the term tranny in particular has a long history in trans drag and queer communities of being a term used within the community as a term of affection or as a campy way of reclaiming a term used um, derogatorily. I don't think that's a word. Whatever. Uh, used in a derogatory fashion um, to be like taken back into the community and used for themselves. Isn't there a, a level of authority missing there that like you can't claim a word on somebody's behalf? I, well, I mean, but RuPaul as a drag queen would be part of the communities, was part of the communities who were reclaiming it. Okay. So that would be his authority. And that's what he thinks. But RuPaul also, I think, has a tendency to not be willing to look at the big picture. So, and historically, I will say there's a huge amount of overlap between drag and trans communities. Many trans women, as I talked about earlier, right? Like, historically, trans women and drag queens were often part of the same community. The term drag queen actually like came along later than a lot of these communities formed and terms like training are used in these communities in a reclamatory and loving way as a term of endearment and empowerment and solidarity between people across identity categories working together to support and protect one another for some sources on this just in case you think i'm spouting at my ass i'm not um (laughs) sometimes i do that but not in this instance one of my one of i think the most accessible things explaining this history is um a blog post by kate bornstein who's known as sort of one of the quote-unquote mothers of the contemporary trans white movement trans theory trans studies she wrote a really fabulous blog post on her blog um a queer and present danger about the history of the word tranny and its origins in the actually australian uh trans and drag scenes and she in that article basically she said that it's a term she uses, and she's of an older generation who do this, that RuPaul and some of his friends like Lady Bunny are. But she also pointed out how sometimes arguments for and against the word tranny point to a generational divide between older and younger trans advocates and queer advocates and allies um, about the term and its power, both for good and bad. So that's some important history. But when it comes to drag race, and this is, I think, the big but that gets mi- <laughs> like mine the big butt that gets missed a lot in the online debates about this and in the fandom i think the show has done the right thing moving away from using problematic terms like this um whatever the reason behind that however cynical you think that reason might be because of the show's public increasingly large public platform we can acknowledge the varied history of were of these words while also seeing that in the context of a show moving increasingly into the mainstream um, with an ever-growing non-queer non-trans non-drag audience it's really unlikely that the show can deliver the context needed to understand the history of these words. Um, And by using terms that in the mainstream are usually slurs, it's inviting people, whether it's intentional, this invitation or not, it's inviting people to keep using them the way they've always heard them, i.e. largely as a dehumanizing slur. Um, And I think that this is where, for me, RuPaul really falls down in this argument um, and in his statements about the show and its sort of complicated history with trans women. I acknowledge his perspective on what the term has meant for him and his life and his career. Obviously, that's his life. You know, I'm not one to say it's wrong. But he has a larger responsibility that comes with this large platform of the show that really needs to trump his own personal feelings. And I'm actually kind of using that verb somewhat intentionally in our current (laughs) moment. Um, The same way that's, for instance, like think about socially progressive Christian politicians who sometimes vote for things they don't 
you know, vote in favor of things they don't believe in because they recognize the greater good of their constituents. I think that RuPaul needs to start thinking about this. Um, and I'm happy to see that the show has moved in a better direction. It's still questionable, though. Um, has there ever been a trans... I'm so glad you asked. ...contestant <laughs> yeah. on the show? Several. So, when it comes to the actual contestants on the show, I do think we've seen significant progress regardless of what RuPaul thinks. And this is one of the things I like about the show. RuPaul's like a, you know, capitalist overlord control freak, but the contestants are so real and such big personalities, I think sometimes they manage to still sort of bubble outside of RuPaul's control. So, in the past, there have been trans contestants. Many of them have come out after the show um, and presented on the show as drag queens, cis men, in drag. Um, Sonique in season two came out during the reunion special, but that was at a time when the winner had already been announced and the reunion special was sort of just a, like, after show. Uh, Carmen Carrera from season three came out after the show and has had a very public and amazing modeling and activist career. Um, Jiggly Caliente and Kenya Michaels from season four. Gia Gunn from season six. Most, all of the, I think all of them, I haven't heard from Sonique in a while, but I think they're all still performing in drag as out and proud trans women. Like I said, Carmen Carrera actually now has a mainstream modeling career, which is fabulous. Um, Which is amazing because it shows that this tired and I think largely false narrative that trans women can't be drag queens and vice versa doesn't have to hold true. Even if there are assets who want to maintain this fake and historically untenable distinction. Um, Where trans contestants sort of really broke out on the show was with Monica Beverly Hills in season five. Uh, She was the first trans woman to come out during the competition. Um, She came out in episode two or three. uh, Three, I think. Doesn't matter. Um, Early in the season. Um, and then, and it, it was distracting her, not talking about this, and so she had to lip sync that week. She slayed it. It was amazing. Greatest performance of Rihanna on the show. Love her. Um, and then, but then unfortunately, she, like many people who tell a sob story, whether it's about, and when I say sob story, I'm not, like, putting down their story. I'm talking about how the show edits it. Um, you know, the music gets all violin Like, these are people who come out as HIV positive, people who come out as trans, people who come out as um, having been abused in the past. You can think back to Roxy Andrews talking about being left at a bus stop as a kid in season five. Uh, Oh, that was a dramatic episode. Well worth it. Um, (laughs) So she went home the next episode. This has a tendency. There's a long history on this show of people revealing something deeply personal. The show being all like, we love you anyway. We're a community. Woo! RuPaul pop psychology. And then they just ditch them the next episode. And with Monica, like, she did underperform in the episode she went home on. But, like, it was clear that all of the, like, goodwill that the judges had given her the ep- the week before about, like, you're so strong and we're so proud of you suddenly was gone. And they were just like, oh, well, that was bad. Bye. Yeah. So that's a problematic thing. But season nine has made significant amazing things happen in that the contestant Peppermint, who I adore beyond, like, I don't know chocolate um peppermint's been a mainstay in the new york drag scene for a long time she's a seasoned performer she's been around for years she's very well known in new york um and she's been out as a trans woman for a long time and performing um she talks on the show about she has definitely faced people faced issues with people who are like well you can't perform in drag if you're going to be a trans woman total bullshit she still performs good for her she walked a fine line on the season she didn't actually come out on the show or even to her fellow contestants until four or five episodes in and she explicitly said in the workroom like i wanted to make sure i could feel safe with all of you before i came out which frankly good i think she should do that if she needs to like she should do what she needs to do, take care of herself 
Um, I, I've seen some people on Twitter, usually white Twinkie gay boys, sort of stereotype, but there you go, um, being like, oh, well, she was deceiving people, but fuck you. This deception narrative about trans people, deeply transphobic, needs to go away. It's all kinds of gay misogyny. Hate it. Um, so she didn't come out immediately. Um, she did come out to her fellow contestants eventually. Um, what was scary was that she had to lip sync the episode she came out. And so everyone was definitely like, oh, fuck, it's happening again. She slayed that lip sync, set herself up as frankly one of one of if not the best lip synker on the season, um, and then she started actually from that moment on. She was on an upswing and she made it to the top two. Um, she probably would have won too, except for the fact that in season nine, the lip syncs were kind of underwhelming in season nine for a lot of reasons. And Rue decided to keep four finalists, and they had a sudden death lip sync battle in the finale, and Peppermint's an assassin, so it was amazing. And frankly, if Sasha hadn't turned out to be an amazing lip syncer, which no one realized because she never lip synced it. She was never in the bottom two. Peppermint probably would have taken the crown and we would have had a trans woman win. To conclude, though, about transphobia and Peppermint, the show has a really complicated history. And though I think the show does positive things, I actually think in trans issues is where it does fall down a lot. And I think that RuPaul in particular um, needs to do more to recognize the platform that they're working with. And... Um, maybe do some learning about how RuPaul's not made like times have changed and maybe things that worked for you 20 years ago read differently now but Peppermint I think has been a real watershed moment that I hope pray beg would suck cock to help make happen um has will change the narrative of trans women on this show um she regardless of what it like, frankly, going into the top four episode, it kind of seemed like the show was ready to get rid of her. She'd only won one challenge, whereas everyone else had won at least two who was in the rest of the top three or the rest of the top four. She had lip synced more than anyone else. The way the show has gone in the past, it seemed like she'd be fourth place when Ms. Congeniality move on with life. Right. Um, but in the final challenge, frankly, because she's such a good performer, that top four challenge was like a performance challenge and she fucking nailed it. And... I think that she's just un irrepressible and unstoppable no matter the politics of the show. She spent this whole season, I think, being very aware of the tr issues with trans politics on the show. And she spent season nine being classy, funny. Um, she was a gorgeous ambassador for what trans women can do and do do in the drag scene all the time. Um, and the amazing place that they hold in the drag world. I'm a little cynical about the producers and RuPaul wanting her to stick around possibly because of all the bad press about transphobic transphobia and transphobic issues on the show. But frankly, even if that's true, she navigated it so beautifully and she so obviously belonged in the top four that I don't think it even matters. And so, so I think that this could be a good... I, I have hope. So Peppermint gives me hope. Is there... Do you think that... like Is there a kind of gatekeeping that's happening then that's almost born out of respect? Like, is it that there are these cis men who are kind of like well drag is a thing that's for men dressing as women and because you're a woman this doesn't seem like your venue yeah. like so is, is peppermint talked about that actually on the show there are people who do that um even though again as i've talked about that's really kind of unfair historically um, there are Peppermint talked about she's faced other drag queens who are cis men saying like if you transition you can't be a drag queen anymore. Okay. Um, 
and so yeah gatekeeping is one word but and and don't get me wrong there have definitely been fans too like there if you want to look at the fan online presence which is more of what i know about um with previous trans contestants there have been fans who say horrible transphobic things like well if you're a woman you can't have your cake and eat it too and be a drag queen like really awful stuff um that is just ignorant and for an art form that in at its core is about questioning the validity of gender period seems really stupid to me it seems really dumb and ignorant and hateful to try to tell people that they can't be part of this thing that they've been doing their whole lives and that actually questions the very foundations of gender norms because of those same gender norms that's ridiculous well it seems like it's the same thing that i mean on a smaller scale i don't mean small in terms of importance i just mean small in terms of i guess demographics but or just when something feels like it belongs to you and then somebody else wants to be a part of that and feeling like it's being taken from you instead of being given to them. Right. Like it's that same well struggle, I, mean, I guess. And maybe I'm legitimizing intolerance too much. No. Um, I mean, you're being empathetic, which I actually think is something that particularly in online cultures we're missing a lot of now. So, like, I applaud you for that, actually. Um, it's one of the reasons I've always liked you, Dylan. Um, you're such a nice boy. Um, but <laughs> there is a defensiveness that, so, I mean, sometimes, frankly, people who are part of minority communities have a right to be defensive about their cultures. Um, there, I mean, the thing about the mainstreaming of RuPaul's Drag Race is that there are now lots of people who are not part of queer community, queer and trans communities who are not, have never been, who are now trying to like show up at gay bars and drag shows and they come to see drag race queens perform and they're acting as if they own this joint and like I'm not gonna lie I've had moments where I felt defensive about that and been like get the fuck out of my bar posers mm-hmm. you're you're acting a fool and I want you to go uh, like and again going back to what we were, I was talking about earlier right with being a good ally versus being a shitty ally part of that can be there are gay men in the community says gay men in the drag world who are bad allies to trans women and they need some educating Um, And I think, I mean, there's a difference. I'm going to get hate mail over this. (laughs) (laughs) You're overestimating my reach. Um, I mean, it seems like there's also a difference when it comes to, like, the social power of groups, right? Like, when I watch RuPaul's Drag Race, there is a risk of me overstepping into tourism and and turning turning you into a gimmick. Yep. Uh, and turning it into a gimmick. Sorry, I don't know why. Sorry. Say, you say to the man who brought fans to a podcast. Right. Um, I'm a walking gimmick. I've, but. But, and I mean, I think that that is a different conversation than somebody who is trans wanting to be part of absolutely. the drag community. Yes. Like, that's coming at it from a totally, like, it's the opposite side of the conversation. Or just a different position. A totally different conversation. Yeah, it, yes. And. I don't, so I guess for me, and this is maybe, I don't know, some people would probably say this is too nice. I think that it is okay to acknowledge that sometimes people get defensive and sometimes that leads to, about something they care about. And that can lead to them saying and doing stupid shit. What matters more to me is less that that happens and more how people deal with it. And my hope is that between the pushback and how Logo actually made real changes to the show after the season six debacle, um, and with what happened what, with the amazing effervescence that was peppermint in season nine i hope we're seeing something different happen on this show because this show is building a big platform and this show does do a lot of good things it means a lot to a lot of people in a way that is pretty unique for a t not just for a tv show but for one that 
I mean, if you ever watched season one, which is hard to get a hold of, had zero budget at the beginning. It looks like there's like seven layers of Vaseline on the camera in season one. It is blurry. Um, <laughs> just wait. Like, for a show that started from nothing, and frankly, I don't think anyone expected to get renewed for season two, this show has a lot of power, and it does a lot of really good things, regardless of RuPaul's politics and regardless of the corporate empire running it. This is owned by Viacom. Like, let's be real. <laughs> no, seriously. Like, these are the people who own MTV. Like, it's a corporate empire who's right. profiting off of this show. Sure. Um, and RuPaul's making shit tons of money off of right. this, too. Um, but it's powered by something real and authentic. Yeah. And... I think that we should try to, as fans, whether queer fans or trans fans or, but especially gay male, white says gay male fans and non-queer fans, we need to be open to both loving it for its authenticity and being respectful allies and trying to educate ourselves about the things that we see on the show that we don't understand without putting the onus to do that education on trans women, on drag queens, on people of color. It's on us to learn about these things. The internet is a beautiful thing. And also a often horrific, terrible, eye-scarring, soul-shattering thing. Um, it's important for us to be good allies and to educate ourselves and to try and always keep in mind that when we have a defensive instinct about anything, it's okay to feel that. But then we need to ask ourselves, why do I feel defensive? What part of this is legitimate? Maybe there is something happening. Like... In the early 2000s, when, you know, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy happened and the mainstream media was stealing twink club culture. I'm not a twink. I didn't feel particularly sad about it. But I know people who were like, you know, came up and came out in that club culture who were super defensive. And that's legitimate. It's the same as like, I'm not going to lie. I look at lumbersexuals and hipsters taking over all my bear shit. <laughs> I get real pissed. <laughs> no, fuck that shit. We started it. And frankly... Just to be fair, historically, as someone who actually studies bear history, we stole a lot of our shit from lesbians. We stole it from butch lesbians, and now straight people are stealing it from us. So I'm in the middle of this situation, and I need to, like, own both sides of that. <laughs> um, just for the record. But, like, it's important to understand, like, if we feel defensive about something, why? Why do we feel defensive about someone calling us out? If someone's saying we're doing something wrong... Why do we feel the way we do and how can we be responsible about trying to step back and educate ourselves about why someone might think we're doing something bad? I think that that's something that RuPaul needs to do more actively without being forced to because of the threat of losing money um, or because Logo forces him to. But I also think that what's really special about this show, for me at least, is it's subtle and it's not always explicit, but I actually think the show even offers some of those tools to us in the very way it presents the stories of the queens who are on it. And if that that should be the message, I think, that gets taken away mm -hmm. as you start to watch this, especially if you're a viewer who's coming into this show knowing nothing. Mm -hmm. Take that message away. This is about caring, and this is about empathy, and this is about learning about people who are different than you. And sometimes that means that you have to be in a really uncomfortable place with yourself. I feel like I just, like, got up right up on my soapbox there. But, uh, but yeah. And, yeah. I, and, if, and just to bring it back, I really actually feel like that was the message Peppermint sent in season nine. Wonderful. Yeah. I really can't, I can't tell you how much I love her. So when it comes to the, just thinking about empathy on this show and like how the show tries to like softly, how queens in the show sometimes, I think they're really shrewd ones, try to like softly critique things that happen in queer communities. Um, on season eight, which you can actually see in Canada on Netflix, think about everything kimchi did to bring up no fats no femmes no asians 
She did that in the political challenge, the smear campaign ad. She did it in the finale with her song, right? No, I'm fat femination. Yeah, I was um, curious about that. Do you know how much control Kim she had over what was in that song? No. Because I feel like... I would guess very little. As far as like a camp thing in terms of mm-hmm. laughing at yourself, if... When kimchi does it, it's okay. If somebody yeah. else is writing that song for kimchi, I got a bit weird about Well, but that. Who, we don't know who wrote it. That's true. Um, and, I mean, I will say, I mean, it was also, though, it was based on her critiquing this in the smear campaign challenge, right? That is a thing that happens in gay male communities. No fats, no fans, no Asians is legitimately a thing that people put in their dating profiles. Really? Oh, yeah. Um, or sometimes, like, prefer whites... No, pre- just just a preference. I'm not racist. Yeah, bitch, you are. Um, you said that you're racist. Girl, bring it in. Um, so like this was a moment that was actually a really important moment in the show. I think Kimchi did a lot, very sort of quietly, throughout the season to bring attention to the ways that the community still needs to grow. Drag communities, queer communities, whether it's in the fact that thanks to like the weird new sort of fetishization of masculinity that's happening in gay male dating cultures. We need to talk about no fats, no femmes, no Asians as being a really fucked up thing that people say and feel completely legitimate saying as a fat, I have NFM. I have been on the butt end of this, but um, I've been waiting to make that joke all podcast. Um, but she also like, but like, you know, there's a way that in how this show is mainstreaming drag, it's encouraging a long pattern of non-black and non-Latino gay men appropriating particularly black women's culture. So, like, I don't know. How did you feel about the Ruko's Empire episode? Yeah, that felt... Awkward? Well, it felt awkward, but it also felt like it put it put some people in a position where they could either do a thing or... Go I home? Mean, just, just in case anybody didn't hasn't actually watched it like the whole idea is that they were supposed to act out a season or a, a scene. an episode of empire right basically an, a, a a campy version of an episode yeah. of empire and so it put these <laughs> the the white people in the competition in a position where it was it seemed like it was expected of them to adopt yeah act quote-unquote stereotypically ratchet right? right and and in the one hand yeah that is what the show does and the actual show empire is about black people and it's about african americans and their actual culture fine well actual that might be whatever anyway fine but i actually think again interestingly it was really kinji who brought that to the forefront for me right where she i mean she's awkward in the acting challenges anyway and then here's rupaul and faith evans two african american people and Faith Evans in particular, who is part of this hip-hop culture and has been for a long time, telling her, like, we get ratchet, we tongue pop, we do the... I'm not going to try to do it. Um, We do these things. And then Kim Chi's like, I guess I'll try to tongue pop now. (laughs) And, like, it was hilarious because she did the best she could with it. But, like, this was a moment where the show was very, I think, uncritically repeating some of the habits, but people like kimchi are sort of very subtly bringing to the forefront like this is weird and we need to talk about this and we need to deal with this well kimchi it was weird like when kimchi was doing it but for me it was kimchi was robbed it was more awkward when Derek was doing oh god because i was just like i wasn't even gonna bring up i was like now you have but but i mean like you have you're you're telling a person right it's like watching britney spears try to rap well you're you're telling a white person they have to imitate a black person this thing that they've been told like probably their entire lives like don't do that like don't do that because that's really fucked up yeah Yeah. and like you have to do this to win a challenge it's like uh like i would not that was the one challenge that i was like i i would not want anything to do with this well and that challenge also it's not just like the 
like imitating african-american hip-hop culture it's also like two of the characters had to be a really overblown and frankly kind of ableist interpretation of bipolar disorder or multiple personality disorder um depending on how you want to interpret the scene like and surprise surprise one of them ended up in the bottom but the other one got praised for it right acid betty was in the top three for that role right and i think this there's a fine line that the show walks um around issues like this where like how do we embrace something that is part of drag culture like drag culture has been largely driven by african-american people in the u.s especially um its roots in ball culture going back into the like 70s and 80s ball culture still thrives today um like there is a lot of history there and it's good that the show i think overall it's good that the show wants to like show this but then what do you do with the fact that how do you how do you get white drag queens to do challenges about this in a way that's okay and then at the same time that you do like say trying to show one kind of history or culture and drag you're also then cracking ableist jokes about mentally unwell people like that episode was a standout comedically and it's one that people talk about being really funny and i i mean it was hilarious but that doesn't mean it's not complicated right exactly and these are the things that like somehow i feel like i've taken this in a different direction than i meant to but big surprise um but like this is one of the things though that as viewers enjoying this show we need to think about like what makes us uncomfortable what what should have made us uncomfortable and didn't because of the format of the show and how do we um ethically consume it yeah okay well um i think it's time to wrap things up it seems as good a place as any to do so The, the shade fan has come out again um, so the way that we always do so is I invite you to tell me what rating this got on your own Netflix profile or hypothetically if you had access to a profile that had RuPaul's Drag Race so whether it gets a thumbs up or a thumbs down and then if there's an MVP from the season that you want to you want to point out uh, I mean definite thumbs up all the thumbs up fans up heels up tits up feet in the air up big old bottom Everything that's not tucked in is up. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and and the other things would be, but you know, tape. Yeah, um, duct tape. MVPs. Um, I just decided that's plural. You just yes. <laughs> yeah, just for the record. Well, no, because okay, so I would say overall MP- MVP kimchi. Um, I do not feel like kimchi got the credit she deserved for the season, even though she came out with a huge fan base and she's amazing. Um, I do feel like she should have won, and I know that's an unpopular opinion, but whatever. But I also actually think, um, and I will say, though, Bob also did a lot in the season to talk about the activism he's done. Like, Bob's also a very political, yeah. forward-thinking drag queen. Amazing. But Kimchi's great. Um, performance MVP has to go to Robbie Turner. For what? what? Probably the best lip-sync performance, or at least the most novel in the entire show. Which she one? lip-synced in Roller Skates. Okay, yeah. Come okay. on. I forgot about that one. I forgot I about mean, that one. Okay. I love Cynthia. I adore Cynthia Lee Fontaine. She is the sweetest. Um, and P.S., it actually turns out she was starting to deal with a cancer diagnosis on that yeah, season. Yeah, they dealt with it on the... Yeah. yeah that, was, um, acid, that was what we were talking about before. Yeah. Acid Betty going to visit. Um, so she was not at her best in the season. Um, although props to her for just not trying to make an excuse out of that. Yeah. But like the second when they were like, you can lip sync in heels or wheels. I'm convinced Bobby was, Robbie was only in the bottom because they knew that he was the only queen who was going to lip sync on fucking roller skates. <laughs> the second Robbie said wheels, I was like, it's over. <laughs> and it was, it was fantastic. That lip sync was 
everything. Yes. That was my yes fan. I'm explaining to you what happened because I brought visual gags. So those are my MVPs. Okay, great. Uh, Mine's a thumbs up for sure. I had previously picked RuPaul as my MVP. Just before talking to you, I felt that I felt it just as kind of like a, not a cipher, but as like an ambassador into this culture for me that RuPaul being able to like, I mean, you you do with everybody, you see them in and out of drag and everything, but just like as a, as a brand, I was just like, I buy all of this. Right, sure. Um, So I, I mean, maybe I do want to take a little bit away from that a bit. And I think I actually want to like opt out of choosing an MVP and just choose like RuPaul's Drag Race as my MVP. That's legit. Which, I mean, I normally don't do this whole cop-out thing, but like I don't want to choose between the queen. Like there are certainly queens that I didn't find entertaining and there are some that I did. And it's... I mean, I'll be honest, season eight had a strong cast. Season eight had a strong cast with a lot of really amazing queens who did a lot of really amazing stuff. Chi-Chi Devane um, was a voice for... Uh, this is going to sound weird, but like poor queens. I mean, she called mm-hmm. herself that. Um, I think Chi Chi is so effervescent. Um, I've used that word like eight times. But um, yeah, I mean, this this season was a strong season. So yeah, I just, I mean, I love that this exists. I just love that this concept. So I, I think I ascribed a lot of that to RuPaul's personality, but I don't want to take a step back from that and just have it be like this Right. thing as a whole if nothing else if this conversation gets more people to watch the one season of yeah. RuPaul's Drag Race that's on Netflix then I think that we've done our job yeah huzzah and hopefully I'm hoping if if this works out if Netflix is who RuPaul has a, or Viacom has a deal with in Canada then hopefully whenever the next season's about to come out they might put on season 9 would Although be my hope already spoiled it for you bitches whatevs um yeah, next season, they're supposedly actually filming All-Stars 3 right now. Uh, Viacom greenlit that, and then season 10 will be filming after So that. All-Stars is like, they bring back yep. previous ones? There's and... been two seasons of it already. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, All-Stars 2 was the biggest ratings that Logo ever had. It aired before season 9, and via VH1 greenlit 3 almost right away. Right. So uh, 10 was supposed to be the next season, but apparently they've switched that up, and All-Stars 3 is filming as we speak. Cool. All right. Um, thank you so much for doing this. And thank for you for having me this. again. And is there anywhere that people can follow what you're doing, or um, like, do you have an online? Like, do you tweet I, or anything? No, or? I'm inside. I'm actually a 78 year old named like I don't know Mabel or something. Um, you're, a, you're a bad internet gay, Josh. I, I no, I'm a horrible one. I'm a media scholar who's bad at the internet. Um, <laughs> I I will hopefully have a website soon. The you can hilarious... find me on my Diaryland account. <laughs> the whole. <laughs> MySpace. Um, the hilarious irony of this is I do believe I actually said the exact same thing like a year and a half ago when I did the Muppet thing with you. Um, but I'm going on the job market, so I really do need a website. So hopefully that's going to happen. Uh, but I do have a, a online page at the University of Michigan Screen Arts and Cultures Department where I'm going into my final year. If you want to know a little bit about drag race and colonialism in America and the situation of Puerto Rico, you can check out an essay I published in a book called The Makeup of RuPaul's Drag Race, Essays on the Queen of Reality TV Shows, edited by Jim Dames from McFarland Press 2014. Yeah, I, my essay talks specifically actually about camp and gender for the most part in the show, but I talked also about, um, particularly in the earlier seasons, the queens from Puerto Rico very much get like named on the show as queens from Puerto Rico and they are representatives of Puerto Rico but which queens which Puerto Rican queens get praised and which ones don't 
has a tendency to line up with how they embrace or don't a particular narrative of the American dream that RuPaul's super invested in. There's a real homonormative politics to the show when it comes to issues like marriage and the army that are difficult. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I've had a great time. Thank you, Dylan. That's everything for this episode from the Netflix podcast. If you liked what you heard today, head on over to netflix.ca to check out the rest of the Netflix content, like show notes, articles, and reviews. You can find all sorts of fun links in today's episode's show notes. For instance, I've linked off to Dirt Squirrel's website, uh, particularly their fan section, so you can get a fan like the ones that Josh brought to the table, including Yas and Shade. Uh, We touched briefly on Grace and Frankie, if you'd like to hear me talk more about that. I've linked off to a couple of episodes I did with Netfreaks, talking about seasons one and two of that show. I've got links to Alex Borstein's blog post about the history and the use of the word tranny, called Who You Callin' a Tranny, as well as a follow-up post from five years later called Tranny Revisited. And for some more further reading, you can't find the essay on its own, but I've included a link to by the book The Makeup of RuPaul's Drag Race, Essays on the Queen of Reality Shows, which is the one where Josh has an essay called Draguating to Normal Camp and Homonormative Politics. You can buy it for about 35 bucks on paperback or just $10 on Kindle. I've included links to both. A couple of other episodes that we referenced in this episode that I've linked off to as well are episode number 44, The Great Muppet Caper, which is, of course, the last discussion that I had with Josh. Uh, that time was about Muppets, camp, and all sorts of other fun stuff, as well as episode number 74, which was my discussion of Back to the Future Part 2 with Rob McDougall. If you'd like to support what we're doing here at Netflix, there are a few ways you can do so. Uh, one of them is by heading over to iTunes, Google Play, or whichever podcast platform you use and subscribing so that each new episode comes straight to you. While you're there, you can drop a rating and a review to let us know what you think. Even more importantly, be sure to tell your friends about what we're doing here. You can also contribute directly to Netflix by way of our Patreon campaign, whether it's for the rewards or just to see us keep doing what we're doing. You can pledge your support over at patreon.com or hit the support Netflix button at the top of our homepage at netflix.ca. This podcast is produced and edited by me, Dylan Clark Moore, and the theme music was provided by Zach Moore. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Netflix podcast and be sure to join me here next time for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog. Because even if you think you've seen it all, you ain't streamed nothing yet. I'm sorry, I don't need to be singing. I didn't say stop. <laughs> Shut up. I don't, you don't get to tell me what to do. You already turned my levels down, you repressive bastard. And oh, look at those big again. spikes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>